Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is David Campfield, and I'm recording this here in Chicago on Thursday, September 28, 2023. And in this program, we come to a very, very serious and sober topic, which is the reward and discipline of the believers in the coming age, which will be the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth, the millennium, as it's often called. And as I've been preparing for this topic, I just uh, have had a, a deep sense so few Christians have any kind of an adequate appreciation of this matter or really any serious understanding of what it really means to live the Christian life today. So few have a proper concept because the teaching among evangelical Christians today so much stresses the side of the free gift of salvation that it just blinds Christians and keeps them from seeing the other side of the truth, the balancing truth, which has to do with this question of whether or not we will be rewarded or disciplined at the judgment seat of Christ, which is where it will be determined whether or not we enter into the millennial reign with Christ or whether that time is a time of discipline for us. Very, very serious, very, very sober matter. So few Christians today realize we have a race to run as believers, a real race. And I think many Christians have the concept, well, if I serve the Lord or if I try to follow Christ to some extent today or if some believers do that, that's, that's kind of like extra credit. You know, I get, maybe I'll get some extra credit when I go to see the Lord, but if I don't, it's not that serious because my sins are forgiven. Well, that wasn't the concept the Apostle Paul had. Now, he had a very, very sober realization of how serious a matter it was to run the Christian race. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race course indeed all run, but one receives the prize? So run that you may lay hold. And everyone who struggles in the games exercises self-control in all things. Now they indeed do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we and incorruptible. Therefore I run in this way, not uncertainly. I box in this way, not as beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he was very clear. He had a real race to run to win the prize. And he's not talking here about salvation. That had already been settled. And some people misapply these verses in that way. He's talking about winning the prize, And from the rest of the New Testament, we can say that's the prize of reigning with Christ during the millennium. That's the prize he was struggling and and running to win. And we need to have that same kind of attitude if we're going to follow Christ today. We'll come back to these verses uh, later on in the program. Very, very striking, a very, very sobering word from the Apostle there. But to explain a little bit of his meaning, let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5. And I'll start with verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord for that. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. What a demonstration of God's love that is for us. Then he goes on in verse 9. Much more than, having now been justified in his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So we've already been justified in the blood of Christ from our sins. Praise the Lord for that. But in the future, something else is going to happen. We shall be saved from the wrath through him. 
Now, how is that going to happen? That's what the Apostle Paul explains in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if we, being enemies, were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved in his life. So do you see what Paul is saying here? Something has happened in the past already. And if you're a believer, you've had this experience. You have been justified. In an objective sense, at least, you have been reconciled to God. We, being enemies, were reconciled to God. Praise the Lord for that. But now we need to go on and be saved in his life. We need to allow God's divine life to operate in us, to save us and bring us into conformity to Christ so that we in the future will be saved from the wrath. Now that's going to happen. We are going to have this experience. We will be saved from the wrath because we are going to be saved in his life. It's going to happen. Once you're a saved believer, you know that's the beginning of the process of salvation. God is going to bring that process to completion. But the question is when? Will it happen in this age so that the millennium is a time of reward for us? Or will it not happen in this age, in which case the millennium will be a time of discipline for us? To bring us to the maturity that we need in order to be prepared to enter into the glory with Christ. And if you understand the structure of the book of Romans, uh, just before this, in chapters 3 and 4, that's where Paul talks about justification. Then in chapters 5, 6, and 7, in the first part of chapter 8, he goes on, he talks about sanctification. That's a big part of what it means to be saved in the, in the life of Christ. And then in the remainder of chapter 8, he goes on and he talks about glorification, how we will be conformed to the image of God's Son eventually. That's the process we need to go through. And that's really what it means to run the race. To allow the Lord to work in us in an inward way to conform us ultimately to the image of Christ. It's not so much about doing a lot of outward things. It's about allowing the Lord to deal with us. And yes, it may involve doing a lot of outward things for sure as we serve the Lord. Very often that's how we experience the inward working of the Lord's life within us. But primarily, it means we allow the Lord to work in us by his life to conform us to the image of Christ. And that's what prepares us to enter into the Lord's presence in glory. Praise the Lord for that. So I I just want to point out these verses at the beginning of the program uh, by way of introduction to give you kind of an idea of what we're going to be talking about. We're not going to be talking here in this program about our eternal salvation because that has already been determined. If you're a believer in Christ, you know what your eternal destiny is going to be. You will be with the Lord for eternity, regardless of what happens in this age. I could spend the rest of my life trying to lose my salvation. It wouldn't work. My my eternal destiny is already secured. But what's not secured is this matter of where I am going to spend the millennium. That's the question we're going to be dealing with today and what the New Testament shows us in that regard. And as I say, it's a very, very serious matter, and I just I know so few Christians have any proper concept of that. And that's why I'm very burdened uh, for this program to get this word out uh, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'd ask you if you uh, if this program helps you, share it out, because so many of uh, our brothers and sisters have no idea that there is this aspect of the truth in the New Testament. Now, in this program, I'll be referring a good deal probably to a a, a book by D. M. Panton. And all the resources that I mentioned in this program, I'll link to in the uh, program notes below. 
This is called The Judgment Seat of Christ. It was written probably about 1940 or 1950. I mentioned it in the previous program. But it's a very, very important little book. It's a short book, but it brings together so many of the verses that relate to this topic of the reward and discipline of the believers. And I appreciate a very simple statement he makes in a footnote he has on page 51 of this book. He says, as a believer in Christ, I am not to hope that I am saved, but to believe it. On the contrary, I am not to believe that I have won the prize, but to hope that I shall win it. So do you see what he's saying here? He's saying there's a sense in which we can have and should have the firm assurance that we are already saved. And there's a sense in which we should not have the assurance that we are already saved. The true assurance of salvation relates to our eternal destiny. The false assurance of salvation that some Christians have is that they will automatically be with the Lord for the 1,000-year reign of Christ. There is no indication anywhere in the New Testament that is the case. And I hope to make that clear as we go on in the program today. So yes, we should believe firmly that we are saved for eternity, for eternity. But we have to be realized at the same time, just like the Apostle Paul did not have the assurance that he was going to win the prize. And for sure, uh, we uh, probably are not as spiritual and as uh, faithful in seeking after the prize as the Apostle Paul was. We should not have the assurance yet that we are going to be with the Lord for the millennium that we have won the prize. Now, I know some people have a question about whether there's even going to be a millennium because of this really devilish teaching that's out there today, and of course it's been around for many centuries, called amillennialism. But unfortunately, it seems to be gaining more traction among evangelicals. But I dealt with that false teaching a couple of programs ago, and that was in the program, again, it'll be in the notes below, Three Strikes Against the Amills, which just shows it's just a completely false and, and really devilish teaching. If you have any questions about that, I encourage you to listen to that program. In the previous program to this one, uh, I talked about, well, I talked a little bit more about amillennialism, and then in the second half of the program, I mentioned four issues we may have with our mindset that could frustrate us from seeing this matter and considering this matter of the reward and discipline of the believers in a clear way. And let me just review those briefly, because I think that will be a good uh, way to jump off into the real consideration of this topic. So the first problem we may have with our mindset is that we simply don't want to see what the New Testament has to say about how we may be disciplined by the Lord because we like to hear about the free part. Hey, me too. I like the free part. I wish everything was free. And, and there was no issue about uh, me having to answer to the Lord for how I live my Christian life. And so that was the first problem. And a lot of Christians simply don't want to hear it. Number one. Number two, we have to have an understanding, and I kind of already touched on this in the points I've made already in this program, that divine truth is always, always, always two-sided. So as I've just been saying, yes, we should and absolutely need to have the assurance concerning our eternal destiny, but that's only one side of the truth. The other side of the truth has to do with this topic of the program today, of the millennium and where we're going to spend that time. That's a balancing side of the truth. And tragically, because uh, this matter of the free gift of salvation is so overstressed today and not balanced by the side of our responsibility, it just makes uh, Christians so casual concerning their Christian life. And it really uh, causes so many believers to bury their talents 
if the believers had a more serious view of their Christian life today and, and how serious and sober a matter it is to follow Christ, for sure the gospel in this country would be so much more prevailing and the country as a whole would be entirely different if we just had this proper view, uh, this balanced view of what the Christian life is all about. Yes, I have the assurance that I'll be with Christ for eternity and nothing can ever break that, but I don't know where I'm going to be with the millennium. For that, I need to strive and struggle to follow Christ. The third point is that God recovers his truth bit by bit. In other words, the scriptures were closed. You can't add anything to the scriptures. Those were closed about 100 AD, but then so much of the truth was lost not long after that. But God has been recovering the truth and bringing his children back to the truth that's in the scriptures bit by bit ever since then. But unfortunately, a lot of believers seem to think the recovery stopped with the, uh, the matter, with the truth of justification by faith in the 1500s. They don't realize the Lord has been going on and on and on since then. And these truths concerning the reward and discipline of the believers weren't really uncovered, uh, in general at least, until the, the 1800s, when a man named Robert Govet really began to see this matter in the scriptures. And so we have to realize, first of all, we have to be willing to see these truths, then we have to realize that the truth is two-sided, and then we have to see it's not recovered all at once. It's bit by bit. And the last point is that some of these things that we're sharing are not going to be on the surface of the scriptures. They're there, but they're there in a somewhat hidden way. There are parts of it that are very clear, but there are parts of it that are more hidden, and you have to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together to really properly understand them. So in other words, you have to be willing not to stay on the surface of the scriptures, to really dig in the scriptures, to really see what's really there. And then these truths will begin to open up themselves to you if you approach the scriptures in that way and with this, with this proper mindset overall. So what I want to do in the remainder of the program is to just go very quickly through a number of the key verses in the New Testament on this topic. Really, so this will just be a survey of this topic. And that's because I just want to give my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ an impression that we need to be very serious with the Lord and that we have a race to run in order to win the prize of reigning with Christ during the millennium. So many of these verses, you could easily do a whole podcast on these, and some of them it would be easy to do a conference or book on them. But uh, we're just going to do a survey and go fairly quickly through a number of these key verses, like I say. So let's start with some of the most direct verses. And the first couple of verses are ones that I mentioned in the previous program, but I'll say a little bit more about them here. The first one is in, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Paul's talking here about how he laid the foundation, but others build upon it. And then he warns them to be careful how you build upon it. I'll start with verse 13. He says, The work of each shall be made known, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Our work is going to be revealed by fire, saints. And the fire itself shall prove each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built up remains, he shall receive a reward. If anyone's work is consumed, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. If our work gets burned up, we will suffer loss. We will still be saved. We're not in danger of losing our salvation. But our salvation at that point will be through fire. A very, very serious word. It's especially the case when you consider that in the light of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, 
where Paul says, For we must all be manifested before the judgment seat of Christ. Saints, the day is coming when we'll be manifested before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a very serious, serious concern. We must all be manifested before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done through the body according to what he has practiced, whether good or worthless. In Galatians, of course, Paul talks about we're going to reap what we sow. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. We're going to receive the things done through the body according to what we have practiced, whether good or worthless. It's not just that we may receive a good thing or we may not receive a good thing. If we have done worthless things, if we've done, done evil things through our body, those are going to come back to us at the judgment seat of Christ. And as Paul goes on to say in the next verse, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. So his view of the judgment seat of Christ, his appreciation of how serious a matter this is, caused him really to fear the Lord in light of the judgment seat and being aware that his work and his whole life was going to be brought to light at the judgment seat of Christ. And we need to have that same kind of fear and realization one day we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's Luke chapter 12. In this chapter, the Lord is answering Peter's question. In verse 41, Peter says to him, Lord, are you speaking this parable to us or also to everyone? Then the Lord asks, okay, who is that faithful and prudent steward? And he goes on from there saying, if you serve faithfully, you'll be blessed at his return. If you're not faithful, he goes on in verse 46, the master of that bondservant shall come on a day he does not look for him and at an hour he does not know and shall cut him in two and assign his part with the unbelieving. Very, very serious word there. But listen to what he says in verses 47 and 48. I'm not quite sure these verses are in uh, the Bibles that a lot of believers have. They might be shocked to hear these verses. Here's what the Lord says. That bondservant, this is a very clear word, that bondservant who knew his master's will but did not prepare nor do according to his will shall be beaten with many lashes. The unfaithful servants are going to be beaten when the Lord comes back with many lashes. That is just a, such a serious and direct warning. How can you possibly say when you read that verse that there can't be any problem between us and the Lord comes back, any real problem? He goes on in verse 48, But he who did not know and did things worthy of blows shall be beaten with few lashes. For to everyone to whom much has been given... From him much shall be required, and to whom much has been committed, they shall ask of him all the more. Very, very direct and serious word about the Lord's judgment when he returns. And to be clear, this is a judgment on the believers. The context here is the Lord's coming back and dealing with his believers regarding whether they were faithful or not in their service to him on the earth. Look at John chapter 15. In this chapter, of course, the Lord is talking about how he's the vine and we're the branches. But again, and you know, in, these are obviously very serious words. It's not easy to share this. And I'm sure it's not easy to hear. But this is a side of the New Testament truth we really need to deal with. Let me, before I get into this, let me say something about my own history in this regard. You know, I was saved in uh, 1983 uh, by a dear brothers out in Washington, D.C. Then in... Uh, 1984, that's when I touched the church life here in Chicago and came uh, under the ministry of Brother Witnessley, who had been a uh, co-worker of Watchman Nee. 
So for about a year, I was kind of on my own, but I was introduced. The brother who brought me to the Lord introduced me to the teachings of Watchman Nee, to the writings in his books. He really appreciated Watchman Nee, and that, that was a real blessing to me. And I very much appreciated his ministry. Uh, he has the Full of Grace and Truth, twelve ba- uh, not 12 Baskets, well, I didn't have it at that time, but a number of these basic books uh, by Watchman Nee. The first one that really helped me was Changed into His Likeness, which is his study of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Really, really opened my eyes in terms of how to come to the scripture. So I really appreciated Watchman Nee's ministry. But then I got a hold of his book, The Salvation of the Soul, in which he shares along these same lines, warning us that there's a difference between eternal salvation and what First Peter 1.9 talks about as the salvation of the soul, that ongoing salvation that we need to enter into in our Christian life. And that was the first time I had really come into contact with this kind of teaching. All I had heard before was, the teaching of the security of salvation, that one side. I hadn't heard the other side. And I'm reading this book uh, by Watchman Nee, The Salvation of the Soul, and I'm thinking, well, I, I like Watchman Nee's ministry. I really appreciate him, but, but I don't like this part. I don't take this part, what he's teaching about uh, the salvation of the soul and how we may uh, run into trouble when we see the Lord. That doesn't seem right to me. But I don't recall that I had any Bible verses I could use to back that up. I just, I just didn't like it. And I've said before, you know, we all like the free part. We like to hear the free part of salvation. These verses that show us we're going to render an account to the Lord and may suffer a very serious discipline if we're not faithful. And that's not so easy to take. And I, it, it took me a little while to finally realize this is the biblical view, that we will render an account to the Lord for how we lived our Christian life and may face that serious discipline. So if this is hard for you to hear, I believe me, I appreciate it. I was in that boat myself. But we have to receive the whole counsel of God and really see what is in the scripture and consider it for ourselves. And as we do that, I have, because there is such an overwhelming amount of evidence in the scripture for this viewpoint, I'm confident that eventually, if that's what you do, you'll reach the same conclusion that I have, that I need very much to run the Christian race today so that I can win the prize of reigning with Christ in the millennium, because that prize is not assured to me. I could very well not win that prize, and that would be a very serious matter. And I, I say that just because I know this is—I know this is a new word, maybe to many who are listening to this, and it may not be that easy to hear to begin with. But as I say, that was my own experience. So believe me, I, I sympathize with you in that regard. But consider these verses for yourself. I hope—I hope you will. So let's look at John 15. And again, this is uh, on the matter of. Uh, abiding in the vine is very, very precious to have that relationship with Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. But what does he say in verse 6? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withers, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, if I wanted to argue that you could lose your salvation, I probably would use this verse, because you could understand this verse in that way if you took it by itself. But John 5, 24 Other portions of the New Testament make it clear once we are saved, we can never lose our salvation. So this is talking about something different. It's not talking about losing your salvation. It is talking about a believer who does not bear fruit and probably in this life is somewhat cut off from the enjoyment of Christ as the vine. He's cast out as a branch. It's when the Lord comes back, they can be cast into the fire for a time and burned. And not for eternity, for a time. That's a very, very serious matter. But I don't see how any other way you can legitimately understand this verse. It's telling us here that a believer may very well have to pass through the fire. Remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 said. And some people like to say with that verse 
that well it's it's the works that pass through the fire not not the believer he's saved because his works are burned away well john 15 is not indicating that that's a proper understanding of that verse here it indicates it is the branch itself that gets cast into the fire and burned and there's another verse to support this understanding it's in revelation chapter 2 verse 11 when the lord is giving the promise to the overcomers in the church in smyrna and he says he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches he who overcomes shall never be harmed by the second death. That's a promise to the overcomers. Does that promise mean anything? It has to mean something. And if it means anything, it means that if you do not overcome, you may very well be hurt by the second death. You won't be destroyed by it. That's not what it says there. You won't be destroyed in it like the sinners will be. They get cast into the lake of fire for eternity. But it is possible the Lord is saying here for a believer to be hurt by the second death. And it seems to be that is what 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 and John chapter 15, verse 6 are talking about. Very, very serious word. So that's enough for this segment of the program. We'll come back after the break and continue on this line and consider more verses and more portions of scripture that deal with this matter. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. Uh, I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Before going on, I, I was thinking during the break that because this is a very serious topic, I should probably say a couple of things on a more positive note so it doesn't become too heavy. And the first point I want to make is that if we're clear about this matter of the Lord's reward and discipline of his believers in the coming age, that will give us a much more firm assurance of our eternal salvation. Because when, when we come to a verse like John chapter 15, verse 6, we'll realize that's not talking about the eternal destruction of the believers. It's talking about that temporary discipline in the millennium. It doesn't refer to losing your salvation. And so many verses in the New Testament that the ones who wrongly believe and who wrongly teach you can lose your salvation. So many verses that they point to are referring to the temporary discipline of the believers, not to losing your eternal salvation. And once you realize that, then you have a much clearer, much firmer way to believe, yes, that's what the scriptures show me. I will be with the Lord for eternity, regardless of what happens in the millennium. I have that assurance. Nothing can ever really break my relationship with the Lord. I will be with the Lord for eternity. I may suffer a temporary discipline. I hope not, but that's possible. But for sure, in eternity, I will be with the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. So that's a very, very positive aspect of understanding this aspect of the truth. And again, I want to point out, this relates to this, this point I made in the previous episode that you have to see there are always two sides to the truth. There's one side that's always balanced by another side. And once you see that on the one hand, my eternal salvation is secure, but on the other hand, my millennial destiny is not yet decided, 
then you have a full picture of how salvation in the New Testament works, and you can have a much firmer assurance of your eternal security. Praise the Lord for that. The second point I want to make has to do with a verse that came to me uh, again during the break, and this is in the first few chapters of Revelation. In In Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord is dealing with the seven churches in Asia. And the last one is Laodicea, which was in in just a terrible state. And he tells them, You say, I am wealthy and have become rich and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness might not be manifested. And I say to anoint your eyes that you may see. No one, how can anyone look at that verse and, and think there can be no serious problem between the Lord and his believers? Yes, in Christ, we're clothed with Christ, we're, we're righteous, and praise the Lord for that. But in terms of the practical condition of the church here, he tells them, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Very, very serious word. So that's a very negative word there. But then he says this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What a word. After he speaks such a sober word and such a uh, rebuking word to the church there, and frankly, this is what applies to, this is the stage the church is in today, if you understand the prophecy here. We're in the stage of Laodicea. That's the situation of Christianity in general today. They really say, I have become wealthy and have become rich and have need of nothing, and they do not know. They're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Lord, save us from being in that situation. Lord, have mercy upon us. But he still says to them, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. You know, in the Proverbs, is it, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what you see here. He will not allow this church and Christians in this kind of condition to stay that way. He's going to deal with them. And that dealing may be severe in the next age. It may be very severe. But it's a dealing that is done in love because he loves them. God disciplines every son whom he receives. We read in Hebrews chapter 12. That's in verse 6. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves and scourges every son whom he receives. And then it goes on in verse 10. He disciplines us for our profit that we might partake of his holiness. So we need this kind of discipline. It's a question of, are we going to receive the discipline in this age, or are we not going to receive it in this age and wait till the next age? Then it will become a very, very unpleasant thing. It's not easy to endure in this age, but if we wait until the next age, it will be much, much more serious. But it's a discipline that comes out of God's love for us and of the Lord's love for his brothers and sisters so that we will be prepared to enter into glory. So that's a good jumping off point for the rest of the program. And it may take another program to to get into more of these verses. We'll see how things play out. But um, right now, I just was thinking, because I did mention it in the previous segment, the Lord's promise to the overcomers in Smyrna, that they wouldn't be hurt of the second death. So we need to look at just briefly these promises in Revelation 2 and 3. There are seven different promises to overcomers in the seven different churches. And we should consider, well, who are these promises made to? Who are these promises for? They're for the overcomers, of course. But does that mean all the believers in Christ or only some of the believers in Christ? Now, there are some who would say it has to be for all the, over, all the believers in Christ. They would say every believer in Christ is an overcomer. 
That's how they would try to deal with these promises and say, well, yes, they actually apply to all the believers. And there's some verses in 1 John that they might use. This is 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Everything that is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory which has overcome the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, praise the Lord for that. So, yes, there is a sense in which every believer in Christ has already overcome. But it's not the sense that Paul's talking about when he's talking about running the race and winning the prize. The overcoming here is the overcoming of believing in Christ, of that initial faith in Christ. In that sense, we have overcome the world because the world, which is Satan's system that tries to keep us enslaved under Satan's authority, we have overcome that system by believing in Christ. That's the initial overcoming that we've experienced as the believers in Christ. And thank the Lord for that. But we have not yet overcome in the sense of running the race and winning the prize. That's a further overcoming that we still need to obtain. And you just ask yourself, when we see the believers today, would you say everyone is an overcomer? Everyone is a victorious Christian? I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that about myself. Not yet. I hope to be. But for sure, I wouldn't say that about myself yet. And for sure, that's not what you see in the New Testament either. Annas and Sapphira were struck down for lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, some people may say say that, well, they weren't real believers. Well, that's hard to say. They were there with the church in Jerusalem. So very hard to make that claim, but maybe you could argue that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Paul's talking about taking the Lord's table. He says, before you do that, you should prove yourself. Verse 29, because if you eat and drink, you drink judgment to yourself if you don't discern the body. Then verse 30. Listen to what he says in verse 30. Because of this, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Verse 31. But if we discern ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined that we may not be condemned with the world. So God here was disciplining and judging some believers to the point he took them away from the earth. That's how serious his discipline can be. Were these overcoming believers? I don't think so. They died as a result of God's judgment. No, they're not overcomers. And many, many believers are not going to be overcomers. We need to ask the Lord to help us be an overcomer. Make me an overcomer. That's Luke chapter 21, verse 36. The Lord in this chapter, he's talking about the great tribulation. Then he tells the apostles, watch at all times, beseeching, that you may prevail to escape all these things that are about to happen and to stand before the Son of Man. We should beseech the Lord. Lord, I want to prevail. What is that? I want to overcome, Lord, to escape all these things that are about to happen. I want to stand before you. Lord, make me an overcomer. Make me one who prevails to escape what's going to happen on the earth in these coming days. So no, not every believer is going to be an overcomer. We need to be those who are prevailing to escape in order to overcome. So let's look now at three more very direct statements from the Apostle Paul that relate to inheriting the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's talking to the Corinthian believers about some of the things they were doing, going to court with other brothers. Of course, a number of very messy things in the church there. Then he tells them, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be led astray. And I would urge you, saints, don't be led astray. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the perversely effeminate, nor homosexuals, 
nor thieves, not, nor the covetous, not drunkards, not revilers, not the rapacious, shall inherit the kingdom of God. People who practice these things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on, verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So he is speaking this word to ones who have been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. This is for the believers. He's warning them, yes, you've had this experience, but if you live in such a way as though you have not had that experience, if you're engaging in these evil, sinful things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, people who say you can lose your salvation like to use this verse. Oh, see, oh, you have to uh, be a righteous person or you're You won't go to heaven is what this is saying. It's not what it's saying. It says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about that time when Christ will reign on the earth in the millennium, the kingdom of God. It's not heaven. It's not eternity. It's the kingdom of God. Believers who live in such a way will not have an inheritance in that kingdom. But in eternity, they will be brought back in after going through the discipline that they will experience during the millennium. And the Apostle Paul, he gives us two more very strong statements, very similar. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are apparent, which are such things as fornication, uncleanness, wantonness, idolatry, poisonous charms, hatred, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, division, sex, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have said previously, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, speaking to the believers here, if you live in this way, you don't have a place in the kingdom of God, either in this age, where we should be living in the reality of the kingdom of God, or in the next age, when we inherit as a reward the blessing of participating in the manifestation of the kingdom of God. You're not going to do that if you live in this kind of way. How we all need the Lord's mercy to keep us following him in a faithful way so we can inherit the kingdom of God. But again, it's not talking about eternity. It's talking about the kingdom of God. And the last of these three statements is in Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 3, Paul says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be so much as named among you as is fitting for saints, and filthiness and foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not becoming, but instead thanksgiving. Then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, he says this, For this you surely know, that no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, he goes on in verse 6. Saints, I'm so concerned because so many believers have been deceived by empty words, these false promises of people telling you you can't have any problem once you're a saved believer. Everything's going to be fine when you see the Lord. Don't worry about it. Live your life the way you want to. Don't be deceived by those empty, evil words, saints. Don't be deceived by that kind of word. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, he warns them Go in verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Really so. You partake in that kind of living, you're going to be partaking also in the wrath that's coming upon the world. So the, these are just very clear, very direct statements. And I, I can't imagine 
if you think, you know, we go straight from here into eternity and everything's fine regardless of how you live your life, I simply can't imagine how you would deal with these kinds of verses in terms of your theology. So if you have some answers, if you feel that way, if you have some issues with what I've been sharing, again, let me know. Send me a note. I'll take a look at it. And again, I know this is not a word that is spoken very often among Christians today, so it might not be familiar to you. But I hope you'll look at these verses. And again, uh, I'll link to them below. They'll be on the page for this episode on the website. And you can look at these verses and consider them for yourself and allow the Lord to really speak to you about this matter. So I think that will do it for this program. Basically, those are the direct words in the New Testament that we see on this topic that I wanted to cover. But there's also the types and the parables that deal with this topic in the New Testament that I also very much want to cover. And I'll do those in an upcoming program. Probably not the next program, but uh, maybe after that I'll get into into those parables and those types because those are also very, very important, very clear, and really kind of help us to understand this matter in a deeper way. But I hope from what we have covered that these words will help so many believers in Christ to realize that we have to be so much more sober and so much more serious in how we follow Christ in this present age to be prepared to see him and to be with him in the next age. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.